Hello and welcome into the Mavs Draft podcast. I'm Jared Katz alongside Mr. Mavs Draft, Richard Stamen. How's it going, my man? Well, uh, you know, the Mavs just lost, so I'm, I'm torn inside. I, uh, staying in lockdown now for another few days because of this. Makes sense. Has nothing to do with COVID. Oh, yeah, um, no. Not. I just been, this is how I'm coping, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of the game, uh, we have not recorded an episode since the bubble started. I I was on vacation. I drove up to Colorado, uh, as you mentioned last time. So um, now that we're back, uh, how about we just kick things off, talk about the Mavs in the bubble real quick. Obviously, um, you know, we're recording this the same night that they just lost 126-111 to the Clippers. Um, so one and three in the bubble, obviously not what you're looking for. Um, but what are your kind of your overall thoughts? <clears throat> I mean, first of all, can we add Ivica Zubac to the list of Mavs killers? Like that's oh my goodness. I, I've never seen something like that. I mean, that is literally a Boban game that they just pulled against us. Like, I mean, it's I remember March 11th. The yeah, the, the league was shut down, but Boban had like a career game, and then it just happened to the Mavs. Uh, 10 of 10 shooting, 21 points, 15 rebounds, and for good measure, he had an assist and a block. It was crazy, um, and it kind of it kind of reminds us that centers have a spot in the league if they do their you know if they're assigned a specific role. Like everybody needs that dirty work center offensively. Yeah, and I think that's something the Mavs really don't have right they, they just couldn't match that energy and physicality right it was either you know maxi and porzingis not being able to deal with that physicality or it was boban you know for the first six minutes not being able to keep up with the quickness and and the relentlessness um you know zubak just flat out outworked everybody in the mavs lineup tonight um you know and that that's going to happen. You know, people all over Twitter were, you know, Boban needs to be back in. Like, how, you know, Boban wasn't dealing with him well either. So at that point, and, and, you know, really that's what he's in there for. So, you know, I understand why he didn't go back in. I I don't necessarily agree with him starting in the first place. I think there are better ways to use him in, you know, short three to four minute bursts here and there. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. The playing hasn't been great. The coaching hasn't been great. Um, But, you know, we're starting to play the the very best teams in the NBA. And, yeah, the Clippers beat us by 15. But, you know, you look at the the other games that they've played so far, they should have beat the Rockets. They should have beat the Suns. Um, You know, again, not that those are – excuses or anything obviously you know again they should have won those games but I guess I'm just trying to say it's not all the sky is falling yeah no and I I completely agree it's like the Mavs did everything really I mean you could almost say the same thing tonight I mean the final five seven minutes it just turns and and who knows what the reason is maybe it is a long-term issue maybe it's a roster issue maybe it's youth maybe it's coaching who knows and uh kind of just figuring that out is a painful experience. Um, it's it's not a, it's the bad part of being a young team. I mean, that is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're seeing a little too much, um, for lack of a better term, hero ball from Luca. Sometimes, um, you know, we're seeing situations as well where you know early, and I see kind of why he tried to go hero ball tonight because you look at the other games. Um, that they played so far. I keep wanting to say in the series, like it's a playoff thing, but it's not. The other games they played so far, he's tried to move the ball around. He, he would attack, penetrate, everyone collapses, he kicks it out, and they're just missing shots. So, you know, it's it's broken. He's trying to find a way to fix it. Uh, they just haven't found that yet. And it's incredibly perplexing why they can be such a solid offensive team for three quarters and then really three and a half quarters, and then everything falls apart in crunch time. You know, again, do you want to blame it on coaching? Sure. Do you want to blame it on the players? Sure. You can blame it on anything, literally anybody, because it's been a problem all season long. 
And it's not something that's going to get fixed until I think, in my opinion, there's a legitimate off season. You know, you can look at the bigger picture and say, okay, maybe it's a personnel decision. Maybe it's just, we're going to handle things differently this season. I know they basically had a, an off season in between, you know, the stoppage and play and, and the bubble, but ultimately you use the off season to make adjustments. This really wasn't an adjustment period. This was a, you know, what the heck's going on? When are we going to restart play? It's not really the time to um, make the, the, I mean, obviously you're making adjustments, but you're not making those big time uh, decisions that, that you would make in an off season where you might see the difference in those things. So um I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're completely right. It's There's so much to address. And, yeah, like, like you said, I mean, normally this stuff gets kind of panned out in an offseason, but this team wasn't together. In an offseason, you know, you're still training, you're still working out, you're still shooting. I mean, there's ways to get better as a team. This offseason, there really wasn't. It was kind of a negative to an extent. I mean, Luca was one of the few guys who was lucky to be back home and be able to be in a gym. I mean, most of the Mavs really, like, you know, some players played five on five and whatnot, but I mean, it's, it's hard. It's really hard in this time. And, and again, it's not an excuse because everybody had it, not just the Mavs, but um, it isn't, it, it's a growing pain. I mean, at the end of the day, for whatever reason it is, it is a growing pain. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, with that in mind, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we, we move forward? I have one funny stat, okay, which I was looking at the box score. Uh, Reggie Jackson played 14 and a half minutes and had five fouls. That was really wow. weird. I barely <laughs> remember him touching the floor. He missed an end of quarter shot. That's the only thing I remember from him this night. I literally don't remember him getting even one foul, but somehow he had five. <laughs> yeah, well, it looks like Jermichael Green had five, too, and that was an 18 minutes. So. Dude, I don't even remember that, but I was low-key – he kind of was a huge part of them coming back and or winning the game. I mean, he blocked that Finney Smith jumper. Like he was super active in the final. He hit some big shots. Ten, ten yeah. points, four, four shooting, two of two from behind the line, five boards. Um, yeah, he was good. And you know, the Mavs didn't get any production outside of Porzingis had thirty, Luca had twenty nine, and then Finney Smith had twelve. Burke had eleven on fifteen shots. Um, not a not a real recipe for success. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll actually talk a little bit more about this later, but, um, you know, we, we're going to hit some mailbag questions. Uh, you guys left quite a few. We're going to try to hit all of them tonight. Um, you know, some talk about, you know, free agency and, you know, other, uh, late game woes and things like that. So, so we'll continue this conversation later on in the podcast. Um, this is actually going to be one of the uh, singular prospect episodes because Richard actually dropped a top 101 because he's an overachiever. Can't just drop a top 100. <laughs> uh, that was on August 4th. So this is this is as up to date as as your current board is, I'm assuming at this point. I actually no, I actually changed about 30 spots on. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, this one. I uh, wouldn't be surprised because you're constantly <laughs> working. I just had a major, uh, you know, some major epiphanies at, right after releasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have an amendment. Um, so which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, do you want to do the the big board or a Cora? I already forgot what we decided. Let's do. Let's do the big board. Big board, perfect. Okay, so. Number one. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to read through all 101 <laughs> players. If you want to see it, uh, visit the website mavsdraft.com. Uh, it's like the second or third article listed at this point. Um, Richard will probably tweet it out again at some point. Um, but definitely recommend you look at it. Um, some names that I've honestly never even heard of. Um, so, <laughs> so it kind of gives you some some people to look at here. So you know, I'm just kind of looking through the list here, um, some names that pop out and, and the locations in which they pop out. Uh, the first one is, I, I want to touch on is Poku being at 15. Um, I know a lot of people like him. Uh, I don't think I've seen him this high yet. So, you know, obviously probably the biggest um, variance in terms of outcome, you know, boom or bust. But, um, 
you know, what kind of led you to, to put him as high as you did? Is it because the outcome is so high or do you think the floor is maybe higher than, than people think? So I think, uh, I mean, he's made out to be a boomer bust prospect, which to an extent he is, but I think his quote unquote bust is still a 10th, 11th man. And like, honestly, in this draft, this, that high of an upside swing for the fences, uh, it's just that upside can't be missed. What is his upside? What? What what is his upside in your uh, opinion? I mean, I think it's a I think it's a strong second or third option, probably second, I would say. Uh, that is a complete mismatch nightmare, just all around on both ends. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely you know. someone that I want to watch so that we can tackle him in a in an upcoming podcast episode. Yeah, and I mean, he's a seven foot ball handler. Like, well, that's fun. <laughs> you, you know, just imagine like him and KP on the floor at the same time. And Luca and Boban. Yeah, right. Just smallest guy on the floor, six seven. <laughs> like the Nuggets. Uh, I don't know if you saw since. Well, you were in Denver. You should have seen this. Uh, or you were in Colorado when the Nuggets ran out four bigs and Jeremy Grant was their point guard. <laughs> It's funny, I I didn't see that game, but I I saw the lineup and I was like, what, like Jokic at guard? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's pretty much what the Mavs would be doing. So, you know, perfect fit. (laughs) I'm in, I'm in. Uh, So uh, let's talk about the next spot here. Number 16, Grant Riller. This is a guy that I've heard you talk about quite a bit. I know you really like him, so... Uh, just kind of give me the the quick like 30 second elevator pitch on Grant Riller. Yeah, so he's probably got the best first step in the draft class. Uh, so obviously he gets to the rim at a really high level. Uh, I think he shoots 70 percent at the rim. I think he's one of two people I've seen that shoots both 35. I think he's. Don't quote me on this. I don't have the stats pulled up. Uh, I'll get them for you, but but go ahead. Oh yeah. Hey, you know what? You report my account to Twitter. It's totally fine. Uh, this is pretty. <laughs> it's a fireable offense. So. I'm pretty sure he's one of two people in the draft, like major prospects, to shoot 70% at the rim and 35% from three. Uh, and okay, if he's not, I don't have that number. But. No, I know he's 70% at the rim. I don't know if he was 35%. He was three, 36. Yeah. So him and Elijah Hughes are the two guys, uh, which may or may not have been foreshadowing. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Riller does it all on offense. Like, he's a three-level scorer, shoots off the dribble, spot up, round screens, anything. Incredible passer. Uh, just that kind of modern point guard, I would say. I think it's just interesting having him all the way at 16. I mean, you're talking about a guy, in your opinion, then, who you wouldn't hate going in the lottery, yeah. like towards the end of the lottery, obviously. But you don't really see that too often with six three senior guards out of Charleston. So yeah. That, I mean, that's why I wanted to bring it up. I, I think it's it's a fascinating name. Yeah, and he stands out so well. I mean, it's. I don't know, like you said, it's kind of risky doing that, but his floor is insanely high, and he still has a lot of room to grow. Okay. Uh, Moving on down a little bit, uh, something that I find kind of – well, so RJ Hampton at 20. um, I know you're not quite as high on him as as a lot of people are. Um, I'm probably leaning towards that direction as well. But one thing that I find interesting here is you have Desmond Bain at 21, Aaron Neesmith at 24. Uh, so, you know, I know we kind of talked about those two. I mean, we talked about Desmond in, in great detail last week um, and then Aaron as well. Um, is that just because you think Bain's got the better shot? Um, is, do you not buy Neesmith's length, you know, playing up a bit defensively? Um, you know, what what kind of led you to, to that particular decision? Yeah, so uh, my thing is, I've been, first of all, I, th- I think he's the best shooter in the draft. I'm not going to, I just have a really hard time labeling Aaron Neesmith through 12 games, which is probably the best 12-game shooting stretch ever for a prospect. Wasn't it over 50% from three? Yeah, and, and it's it's absolutely absurd, but let's be real, he probably would have finished around the same percentage Bain had. And sure. if he did, then we'd be having a whole different conversation on best shooter i think it'd be a lot more attainable and look who look who neesmith played i think he played against auburn and liberty were the two best games and i just that doesn't fly for me i needed to really see it against tougher competition night in and night out and see what he looked like during the regression what you know so i like seeing what guys do when they're at their worst 
You can tell a lot about them, I think. Um, and you never got to see that. So that's a little bit worrisome for me. I uh, also don't buy Neesmith's defense. He's too stiff for my liking, heavy-footed. Um, Bain, I mean, he just does more. He does more, better shooter, in my opinion. So I, I Who, who do you like, think is a more versatile score? It's Neesmith. I would say Neesmith. is okay. probably because he the way he comes around screens is a lot more natural, I would say. Yeah, um, I would agree. I think his game looks more fluid. Um, and, and I think he's more likely to be a guy who can come off the screen, put the ball on the floor and, and get to the basket via floater or, or, you know, whatever he's going to do. Um, so, I mean, personally, I mean, again, I haven't watched enough of him to know, um, but, but in the stuff that I have watched to me, you know, nice missed the better offensive player mm-hmm. um, projecting going forward. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that ranking. Um, but, but I like what you had to say. Well thought out. Um, okay, Elijah Hughes, the guy that you brought up earlier with Grant Riller, uh, you have at 26. Uh, so why don't you, again, kind of give me a, a brief synopsis. Yeah, this guy, I mean, he really may be able to jump into that top 15, which I might be overthinking. Um, and I Who really, cares? You yeah, do you. I, I hate Syracuse, like watching that team for draft stuff, like with a burning passion. How even watching it as a college fan, that zone is just unbearable. And you know they never, they never. Well, it's, t- it's tough to tell what's going to translate, right? You know, because you don't so, see them playing traditional man defense ever. But their offense is pretty pro style, where sure, they, sure. they love the three ball, uh, love driving kick. And Elijah Hughes, he played secondary ball handle, and sometimes he'd just be a pure spot-up shooter. Uh, his start, shot, start that over. Oh, yeah. He can play one through three. Um, and sometimes, you know, he's asked to be the point guard and the primary initiator. Sometimes he's the second guy after the point guard, you know, gets he bails him out. And sometimes he's just a pure off-ball guy. Um, and he thrives in every single one of those. Uh, I like I said, 70% at the rim, incredible getting there. I think he's got long arms. Uh, and then he shoots, he shot 34%. So he was close, actually. So I don't <laughs> think he got it. So I apologize why. But, I mean, he can shoot out to the logo. It's, I've tweeted it before. He has logo range. Uh, and he's an incredible athlete. Like we talked about with the defense, uh, his athleticism is just crazy. It's off the charts. I mean, he's an incredible help side defender. He'll, he'll go away from the zone to make the right defensive play. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm debating leaving all of that in of, of you slowing down and speeding up and the internet lagging. Um, so oh. for the listeners at home, if I don't leave it in, ignore this, but I think I'm going to. And if I do, uh, make sure you guys berate Richard for his, uh, for his internet speed. <laughs> and, um, and I, <laughs> Okay, so let's let's move on down here. Um, so there's a couple big names here that you have kind of starting in the 40s, and I, w- I want to lead off with a guy who a lot of people thought could have been a lottery pick coming into the season. Um, you know, huge, huge, huge high school player, Nico Mannion, uh, guarded Arizona. You have a 40, um, which is low. So you know what what kind of is keeping Nico out of the first round in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a top 15 talent. Uh, there's no question about that. But, man, the jump shot, I'm not sure I buy like I used to, especially like from a standstill. Uh, I really like his off-the-dribble shooting. It's just, man, he missed rim way too much for my liking. For a good shooter, like good shooters just don't miss rim as often as he did. Uh, so that was a massive warning sign. And then also his defense, even though he has good defensive footwork, I think he's underrated in that area. Uh, and defensive IQ, he's just his physical traits outside of that are just absolutely uh, bad. I don't know how else to put it. Like he just, he's going to be a negative defender, the frame, all of it, the athleticism. Uh, it just, it hurts a lot. And I'm not sure, like besides, you know, he's a great pick and roll passer, but I'm just not sure how he gets, how he gets to be an effective player in the NBA, just with the jump shot and all. I mean, it's, it takes a lot away when you can't shoot as a point guard. Okay. So I'm going to come way, way down here to 98. Uh, at, ni- at 98. 
bear with me now. At 98, uh, you have Yamadar, who is kind of being touted as the other Israeli who kind of blew up during their uh, their restart. Um, so I had seen some people kind of pushing, you know, late first round, early second round buzz on him. Obviously, you're not buying that. Uh, do you think that's just a case of recency bias with everybody or um, have you have you not really quite gotten to watch him since the restart, you know, in the way that that maybe you'd want to? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to watch him in the restart like I wanted to. I think I've seen one game, uh, which I, I think it was Denny's best game, uh, I think. And he had a I lot just, of good ones. Yeah. So Didn't I he end up winning MVP not, of that. Uh, uh, of the Israeli league. Why? That didn't Denny end up winning MVP of that yeah. Israeli league? Yeah. Yeah. And Yom Midar is good. I just have a lot of questions about guards who just, I don't trust his scoring it whatsoever. Like that, that scares me. Um, I mean, if you can't score in the NBA, I mean, everybody, everybody can. Um, I just, I don't know how effective he can be if he's just not going to be scoring, especially near the paint. Like, I just, I got a lot of issues there on that. Okay. Very fair. Um, So the reason I skipped all the way down there is I kind of want to turn it over to you. So, um, you know, what prospects did you kind of significantly move either one way or the other, you know, maybe from your last public update or something where you're like, okay, I, I had this wrong. Now I have him here or there. Like, you know, Grant Riller's obviously a big example, but, you know, what are a couple other names that, that you want to throw out there that, that people maybe want to keep an eye out as they're scrolling through this list? Yeah, so, I mean, my top 14 is 15, really, has been pretty much untouched. Um, that is just completely set in stone that one way or another, those are the top 15 guys, um, with maybe the exception of Poku. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Desmond Bain really rose. Uh, I think I had him around 30, rose 10 spots. I mean, 30 to 20 is obviously bigger than, like, 80 to 40, right. but um, like in terms of magnitude, another guy, um, I, I'm really coming around on Killian Tilly. I hate the fact that he has injury history, otherwise he'd be easy top 20. And then Dan Oturu um, is someone who's super polarizing on Twitter, but he's one of the most productive players in the country. I had him in the 40s because, you know, devalue a big man, whatever, but I mean, man, the guy can play. And on the last one, Tyshawn Alexander, didn't have him in my top 60 last time. Now he's in my, he's number 45. Uh, so yeah, those are some of the guys I've seen go up and down. Awesome. Well, if you want to go ahead and get a better look at, uh, at Richard's big board, he, he puts tons of work in, um, you know, you're, you're getting some, some really, um, really quality information there. Um, he's already got a lot of scouting reports on these guys on his website as well. Um, so definitely check that out. Again, it's MavsDraft.com, um, and this particular one is Big Board 3.0, um, so make sure you check that out. Um, so with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and talk about um, the number nine prospect on your big board, number five on mine. Um, that would be Isaac Okoro. Uh, I have him as a wing. Would you agree with that? He's a wing? Yep. Two, three, easy. Okay. Well, you actually list them as a forward on your, uh, on your yeah, board. I, I should probably change that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Because he, I mean, I, I think mean, he'll realistically, be a small he, he, he's a small forward, but he could probably play up or down either way. Exactly. I've, I've made the change uh, since you've made the comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, so you could view him either way, really, ultimately, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, um, and that kind of, without spoiling too much, I mean, versatility is a thing for him. Right, so uh, Okoro, 6'6", 225, um, similar build to Anthony Edwards, actually. Um, I actually have their heights and weights and, and wingspans right here. So Edwards was 6'5", 225, 6'8", wingspan. Okoro, 6'6", 225, 6'9", wingspan, 19 years old, uh, played 28 games for Auburn this year, averaged 31 and a half minutes per game, 
took just under nine shots a game, making those at a 51% clip, uh, which is impressive when you look at his three-point shooting. He shot two and a half threes a game, only 28.5% from three, 67.5% from the free throw line on about five attempts per game, uh, averaged 13 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block. Um, so a guy who's going to fill up the stat sheet does a lot for you. Um, but do you have any kind of additional background information on Okoro before we get into, you know, more of an evaluation? Uh, I mean, yeah, he was a five-star recruit. He, he was big with the FIBA U17, I think in 2018. Uh, yeah, tw- yeah, U17. And, uh, and I know he's a first generation American. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he, he's got all the intangibles, I think. Like I said, he's been part of the FIBA teams uh, for a while, and he's worked with other top prospects. Uh, so he's he's got a lot of experience internationally already. Yeah, and that obviously can only bode well, um, you know, for someone like that. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times people might look at the, the shooting numbers and be like, oh, he's raw. But to me, he's actually very refined and and has a really solid foundation yeah there are obviously things he can and will improve on um but you know would you kind of agree that as far as the you know the building blocks he has pretty much everything you want aside from a consistent shot at this point yeah and i think you hit it on the head he's not raw he's genuinely terrible at one element of the game and that may may not improve like that's a realistic thing that we have to understand and he's not raw everything that he's good at he is legitimately nba ready at uh right which when i when i hear raw i think man they're good at their level now but like it won't float you know at the next level but it can obviously improve right and so when we're just well we'll start with this uh, as far as nba ready um, you know, NBA ready body with NBA ready athleticism. Um, you know, I, I wrote literally the first line in my report here, built like an absolute unit. Uh, and he is, he's, he's big, he's, he's muscular, long arms, strong throughout his whole frame, quick feet, but he's fluid too, right? Like he's not, he's not stiff. He's powerful. Um, you know, he, he can jump, he's quick. I mean, he, athletically to me he's he's one of the more impressive athletes in this class yeah i mean you see it in the first step uh like his blow by ability strong recovery ability is crazy uh and obviously he's explosive like i mean getting to the basket he's explosive yeah and, and i think he he's got kind of that um that quick second jump that that you really want to see from from guys who attack the basket like that because when he does miss it puts him in a position to follow the shot um but why don't we start with the shot and it's probably going to be to me really the only negative um that there are other things he can improve on but the, the the only thing that's really a negative in his game so talk to me about the shot. So he has a really, I, I just, dude, I, my note on it is it's, it's kind of blunt, but his jump shot's an entire work in progress. Like he probably needs to revamp it entirely. Uh, the release point's really low. I don't know if he gets good touch, which that, I don't know if that's fixable. Um, that's a pretty hard one to fix, but the whole thing, I mean, the footwork is nice. That, I will give him that. The footwork, he does a really good job of keeping his body square. Uh, mm-hmm. but other than that, I mean, everything at the top is just, it's rough. Uh, and I know, I know, uh, there's a lot of models out there that say, you know, he's in the category of Andre Drummond shooters, uh, coming out of college. I mean, it's a kind of historically bad jump shot for lottery talent. Yeah. And, and I guess if there's good news is that the lower body is, is sound. Um, I mean, we've even seen him incorporate step backs and things like that, you know, where he's shooting off the dribble. Um, so that's good. Um, but I totally agree with you. I, I thought his his jump shot, everything from the waist up was just inconsistent. It would change. Um, sometimes he flicked his wrist. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he, he kind of pushed it. Um, sometimes his elbow was aligned and sometimes he had a, he had a flare. Sometimes he got his offhand involved in the shot. 
Um, so to me, it's, it's reworking the shot to find something that's consistent because even if, you know, he, he's not flicking the wrist every time and it's just a push shot, at least he's doing the same thing every time. And if you're doing that, I think you have a much better chance at, at least becoming a reasonable enough shooter to be a threat, right? Like, is he going to shoot 35% that way? Probably not. But even if he's a 30 to 32% shooter, it's respectable enough that, that you need to close out on him and you can't just leave him there, you know, expecting that he's not going to shoot the ball because he can't figure it out. Um, and I guess that's the other plus about his, his shot is that he's not afraid to shoot. So as long as he's still willing to put the ball up, defenses have to respect that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, like you said, and that's his ideal outcome is not being an Andre Roberson three-point shooter. Um, right. We've seen Andre Roberson teams beg him to shoot. Just don't be that guy that the teams are begging to shoot. And I think it's an, and he overachieves as a shooter. Just have be able to be closed out on, and it's good. And, and I think you said it best. Um, you know, having repeatable mechanics is huge, almost better than having, I'd rather have that like repeatable bad form almost than a guy who has nice form some days and nice form other days. I mean, that's a, that's a really hard problem to fix. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you think about it, so much of shooting is muscle memory, right? Like, you know, you know how hard you need to shoot the ball from a given spot you know, with how high you jump. And, you know, we've talked about it before that shooting is, is a fluid thing, especially with guys this young and their bodies changing. And, you know, Coro's no exception. Uh, you know, again, he's 225. Like, he's, he's a huge dude. Yeah. And he probably wasn't always this big. Um, so, you know, is he ever going to be a, a threat shooting the ball? Probably not. Um, but, you know, maybe enough as a catch and shoot guy to, um, to space the floor well. And, you know, ultimately I think he's going to be able to affect the game in so many other areas that even if he's never a better shooter than say Andre Iguodala, um, you know, there's still a lot of upside there. Yeah. And just because he's bad at a jump shot doesn't mean other areas aren't good, you know, or effective. Uh, just kind of depends on how effective they will be if the jump shot takes away. Like, uh, like kind of just as a segue almost, uh, his passing, his playmaking. How much does it get impacted by a bad shot? If teams aren't going to close out at the three-point line, you can't beat guys off the dribble to make an extra pass to find an open shooter, you know? Yeah, and actually there, there were – I wish they, they would have run the offense through him more because he, he's an excellent passer. Um, you know, I loved when they would kind of, you know, particularly when they were trying to break a zone or something and they would send him to the high post and he was just making good read after good read, um, able to pass it with either hand, no problem. Um, something I really wasn't expecting to see because he, um, there are parts of his game that don't really look natural. And so you kind of assume that that he's not going to be as savvy as he is. But um, but I was incredibly impressed with his passing. Yeah, and you said a dangerous word there that got me in trouble with uh, the Auburn fan base. Uh, I mean, I, I said he was underutilized at Auburn in certain times, which my, my argument was, you know. Do Auburn fans disagree? So... To an extent, yes and no. Uh, they thought Bruce Pearl used him perfectly, and apparently I'd attacked Bruce Pearl. But, I mean, I can make that argument that every single uh, every single college prospect has been – or NBA prospect, excuse me, because even Denny and all the other international guys, they all get used wrong at some point, which is my whole point. And, yeah, there are times my, – my issue was Okoro sat in the corner far too much for a guy who is not a threat off ball. You're not making right. plays from the corner – and that's my issue, but that happens with every team. Um, but there are times, yeah, I wish he had been able to be more of a playmaker. Sometimes, you know, they had players dribbling the air out of the ball. Um, I, I just, I, I do think that he could have been an even better playmaker, which is not a knock at anybody. It's a pray. It's all it's doing is praising Okoro, you know? Right. And, 
I guess to clear up confusion, Auburn fans, if you're still listening, I'm not trying to say that he was misused per se. I'm just saying selfishly, I wish I would have gotten more opportunities to see him do those things because it's fun. Uh, I enjoyed watching him kind of be that, that playmaker, like almost as if um, like in the NBA, I think a great way to utilize him because he's so strong would almost be to use him as like a small ball four in a way at some points and letting him uh, be like be a screener and then short roll and then play make out of that um, out of that set. Um, You know, just things like that, that I mean, look, obviously Auburn was a great team and, you know, Bruce Pearl did great things with them this year. I'm just saying selfishly, I would have, I would have loved to have seen more of that. Yeah. And, and it's funny that we have to uh, defend prospects being underused because literally, I mean, dude, every single school you could pick out some players just get a way longer than others. (laughs) I mean, look, I I would have loved to have seen Isaac Okoro work in the post because I, I don't really know if he has a good post game. I want to know. Like, I wish Isaac Okoro ran the one more because I want to know if he can do it. Like, but obviously they have a whole team to run. They're not going to do that. Um, Anyway, let's get back on topic here. So (laughs) uh, I want to jump back to his scoring real quick because, you know, if the shot's not going to develop into anything beyond subpar um, or even below average, um, well, I guess that's the same thing. Uh, (laughs) So... So how do you see him scoring at the next level? It's going to be, I mean, I think he's a really good cutter, moves off ball well. I agree. Um, so I think you're going to see a heavy dosage of that. And just simple drives. Uh, if he gets an ISO, I mean, it's going to be a little bit hard because they know what he's going for. Um, but I do think he's a threat as a slasher as well. Uh, just step his strength. Um, all he needs is two dribbles. Well, say, say that again. No. You think, you you think you he's look a, at oh. the... oh, Okay. Oh, I'm I said I leaving, I'm definitely leaving this in because people need to see what I have to deal with. Um, <laughs> so, uh, start again from he's he's a good slasher. Yeah. So, <laughs> I said he's a good slasher. It's mostly that first step, but his strength also helps him finish at the rim. Like, all he needs is two dribbles, and he's there, and he's probably created a look because of his strength, strength and first step, I should say. Yeah, I was actually going to touch on his finishing as well, because he goes up so strong, but he lays it up soft. Um, yep. And he's able to absorb that contact. And look, they're totally different players, and I'm not remotely trying to compare them. But um, I see him scoring in in similar ways to Zion, not nearly at the level Zion does, but that kind of ability of, you know, moving well without the ball, um, you know, cutting quick first step towards the basket, finishing high, um, but soft, um, but strong, (laughs) if if that all makes sense. Um, But, you know, I think, in a way, I, I probably would have had Okoro lower down my list if Zion wasn't having the year he's having. Because for me, it, it kind of reawakened me to the concept of, okay, forwards and wings don't have to shoot the ball to be valuable at the next level, especially, you know, if they can finish at, at the level that they can and if they can create at that level. Um, which obviously Zion was a phenomenal creator uh, as well, still is uh, a phenomenal, but coming out, he was a phenomenal creator uh, at Duke. Um, So from that standpoint, you know, that's where I kind of see a Coro's offensive value uh, coming from. Yeah. And I mean, dude, at the end of the day, I mean, size matters in the NBA, you know, being bigger than your, than your defenders, huge i mean it doesn't really matter about skill iq all the time with that if you're simply bigger you have a huge advantage and whether it's whether it's height weight wingspan i mean that stuff it matters and i think that's gonna help him a lot i mean like you said he is he's got the mpa body already like he doesn't have to worry about adding strength or anything like that yeah and then you know you take that whole offensive package and then you add to the fact that to me he's probably a top five defender in the draft 
Um, I, yeah. I think he can legitimately guard one through four, um, you know, because I think he's got the quickness to deal with guards. I mean, you're probably not going to want to have him guarding, you know, your the De'Aaron Foxes of the world per se, but he can guard most teams one through four. Um, and, and, you know, the strength to deal with, to deal with those bigs as well. Um, but also what he's able to do off the ball, um, you, you know, not all the blocks and steals come from being on ball, um, but, but he just knows where to be. He's a good team defender, which you, you don't see a ton of as, as freshmen, especially that don't go to Florida state. Um, shout out Patrick Williams, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I was just super impressed with his defensive game all around. Yeah. And on defense, I mean, he, again, it's the size and athleticism. It matters, you know, and he knows where to be. He can, you said it best. He can switch one through four. Uh, I've seen him guard Robert Woodard really tight. I mean, I've seen him guard Tyrese Maxey really well. So he can switch onto anybody. And obviously, like you said, guys like Darren Fox is like, can't expect anybody to really guard him. I mean, how many players in the league can realistically night in and night out? Maybe just Maxie. Why? Just Maxi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So bad example. <laughs> <laughs> but like these lightning fast players, they have that for a reason. It's elite. You know, you can't really expect it out of them. So if Phil Cora can't guard De'Aaron Fox, eh, most of the league can't. So I think you're. I think the highest value for for Okoro comes on defense, right? Like, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, and, and I think in a way it makes him even more valuable because he's it's not that he's just not a liability on offense, but he, he provides a lot on offense. So when you couple that with elite defensive skills and instincts and and everything that he has to me, I mean, that's why he's a top five player in the class for me. And then on top of that, he's a guy that's going to do all the dirty work for you. You see him constantly diving for loose balls and setting hard screens and, and battling for position, you know, things that you don't see superstars doing so much anymore. I mean, you do, but not, not at the level he does. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a superstar, but to me, I mean, give me a guy like a Coro, you know, with that attitude and that skill set every day of the week, I'm going to find room for him on my roster and he's going to be an important glue guy as we go win championships. That's why, for me, he's a top five player. Yeah, and it's like, you look at some of the good teams right now. I mean, help, imagine Dallas with Isaac Okoro. But even year one, even if he's a terrible shooter, um, they're still getting, they're going to make him positive. Like, good teams, man, like if Golden State somehow slips to five, they've got a really nice play on their hands where they could probably take a perfect like a core, like that Draymond Blue guy, he takes you to. Not, I'm not comparing him to Draymond. I, I know uh, I've seen that, but I'm not comparing him to that. But that same role where it's like he elevates the team from good to great, or you know, great to like title contending team to title favorite. Those kind of guys matter. You know, they're the elite glue guys, and I think every winning team needs someone like that, and he gets you over the hump. Yeah, Maybe. absolutely. And, and so, okay, so who do you compare him to? So I wrote down, let's see, four names here. Uh, the the one I like the most is the most low-hanging. Uh, but, man, like Andre Godalba is yes. a great comparison. I, yes. Especially post-Nuggets, I would say, like since 20, what is that, 2013 and on. Very, very similar. Like he's not going to put up the crazy stats, but, my God, like the on-off and everything. Just you know he's, he's going to be part of a team's best lineup, the same way Godalba is part of the death lineup, all of that. Uh, some other guys have got two current, two other current NBA players in there. Uh, better defending Evan Turner. I think that's a pretty low-end outcome. And then Bruce Brown is another low-end outcome on Detroit. And then kind of the middle one, because this guy had a really nice career, was Aaron McKee from Philly. Uh, okay. Really good defender, you know, good playmaker. He was a six-man. But, uh, yeah, those are four guys I have. What about you? Uh, I wrote Iguodala um, as well. Um, you know, because of the defensive chops, he's underrated as a playmaker, super athletic, questionable shot. Uh, 
that's why I think it's kind of funny you brought up Golden State because obviously <laughs> they lose a guy like Iguodala, and if they can replace him with a younger version, you know, we already know how, how good of a fit he is in that system. So, um, you know, obviously that's a place that's that's a good fit for him. What other teams do you think would be a good fit for Okoro? So I think almost the whole lottery – uh, Atlanta is one that I think is a really nice fit next to Trey Young. You take a little bit of pressure off of him offensively with the ball handling. Uh, and you also get another wing defender. I mean, we've seen Herter. Herter's been on and off defensively, but uh, Reddish has been a really good defender. And then you pair him with another really strong defender. Uh, I mean, that's that's huge for that team that it's obviously notorious for defense. Their two best players are bad defenders. Uh, and then lastly, I would say another one, that I really like as a fit is Cleveland, uh, which they, they need, they need a good playmaker. I think, first of all, uh, as many playmakers, excuse me. Uh, and also my God, the defense on that team. (laughs) I think even beyond that stuff, it's to me, Okoro's a, like, he's a, he's a culture builder, you know, like he's a guy you bring into, to a locker room and, and the way he plays Guys are going to respect that. Guys are going to want to match that level of intensity. Um, so I think that that's a great fit as well, ju- just from that standpoint. So I'm totally with you. He's a guy that I've, I think I've said it on the show before. If for whatever reason he were to fall to 9, 10, 11, I'm doing everything I can to go up and get him because, again, I, I just think he's a guy that he's, he's going to win championships in this league. Uh, it may not always be the prettiest with him, but he he's going to find a way to get it done. I, I I would not bet against Isaac Okoro. Yeah, and normally I would be hesitant on wings that can't shoot, but let me let me just read out an incredible stat that I probably should have said at the beginning. Uh, so Isaac Okoro and Auburn they lost their first game January fifteenth against Alabama. The last time Isaac Okoro lost a game was uh, the middle of his junior year of high school. Like he almost went two years without losing a game of basketball. Like that's to me, that's insane. And that says, and yeah, you can say, you know, teams were good, whatever, but it says a lot about someone if they're the common denominator on that, you know, it's not like he had another teammate that was a star there. Uh, yeah. You said it. I mean, you're getting a winning player and a team like Cleveland probably needs someone like that. Yeah. And, and I'll deal with the shooting was if I get everything else <laughs> that he does for for my team. So um, anything else you want to add to Okoro before we hit the mailbag? No, I think that's it. Awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up uh, the questions. Again, we got quite a few, uh, some serious, some not, but we're going to, we're going to hit them all because why not? Uh, And I'm just going to kind of go through the, go through my mentions and and we'll do it that way. Sound good? Yeah. Works with me. Put me on the spot. We, yeah, we really didn't prep much for this, so you're kind of getting our genuine reactions to this. So, um, Playoff KP asks, what are both of your dream pick outcomes for the first rounder and early second? Um, I would say realistic dream picks because obviously it would be like LaMelo Ball and Isaac Okora <laughs> for me or Okongwu or something like that. But realistically, um, I want to hear yours first. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, this may come as a surprise to many of you, but my my dream at 18 is Desmond Bain. I think he's the the number one realistic option uh, just because of what he does, you know, fit, uh, culture, everything like that. I think he's an automatic win. And then in the second round, honestly, I just hope that one of the guys that's in my top 25 slips, I'm starting to think probably Elijah Hughes would be my guy. I know he's not yet in my top 25. He's number 26, so excuse me. But uh, I would really, I think those are the two guys. You get two wing shooters, and they both can do things beyond shooting. Okay, I like it. Um, I would probably say, I, I, I would love Poku here. Um, <laughs> Poku would be my guy at 18. And then if I'm going to go with a guy like him, I would love it if Bame were to fall to 31 i don't think that's gonna happen anymore i think that dream is is gone um but just looking at your big board how about like jamias ramsey uh, i think he would be a solid fit as kind of a three and d guy um you know 
maybe you want someone who's who's a bit more of a sure thing if you're taking the gamble on Poku. Um, but but I'd be happy with that. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that we both kind of went different routes too with safety versus kind of upside. Yeah. yeah I I just think if Poku's there, you you say F it, swing for the fences and yeah. uh, see what happens. Okay. Uh, Baylor dude asks Mitchell at Baylor, what pick in the draft does he go after this upcoming season? So that's uh, um, what was it, Davion Mitchell at Baylor? Yes, the Davion Mitchell. Uh, I was telling Jared about him. He's he's uh, he's a copycat of Donovan Mitchell uh, appearance-wise. Sometimes he wears number forty-five. He's D Mitchell. I think that's on his jersey is D Mitchell. Uh, so when <laughs> I first saw Baylor, I I did the biggest double take. And you know Utah wears similar colors. It's uh, it's very deceiving. So, <laughs> but Damian Mitchell is probably the second, maybe third, or no, third best defensive guard in the Big 12. And it's not a knock on him. It's just Marcus Kidd and Isaac Likely are better. Uh, so I, I think his shot is going to eventually come along. And then that way he's a three and D combo guard. I have him as a late second, just because next year is just incre- incredibly deep. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, Baylor dude. Um, all right. Uh, Rob Brunswick asks uh, if there if there were one player you could swipe from the eight non-bubble teams and insert it into the Mavericks lineup this instant, who would it be? It's got to be Steph Curry, right? <laughs> Man, that I think that's some pressure <laughs> off Luke. Don't and... have an answer. <laughs> I mean, yes, Steph Curry is hundred percent the answer. Uh, if not him, I'll go to Stephen and go all in on the big. <laughs> go who? Carl Anthony Towns. That's not a bad one either. Although we're not getting any defense with either no. of those two. Or so if just... you want to be a hero, if you want to be a hero, rescue Zach Levine from Jim Boylan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> Donnie Nelson Burner account. <laughs> so maybe he should be answering this question. Uh, what should the priority be in free agency, assuming the draft is wing focused? Um, I think that's a strong assumption to make, first of all, um, because I wouldn't be surprised to see them adding a guard um, or a big honest. I mean, look in the draft, in my opinion, just take the best guy available. But uh, so I think if you look at their cap situation, this isn't the year for them to spend, right? I, I think they, if they're going to add someone, it's with the mid-level. Um, the guy that I wouldn't mind seeing here personally would just be like a Jay Crowder. I know he's past his prime, but I, I think, and, and I'm kind of stealing something from uh, from Bibbs here. Shout out Bibbs. Um, been listening to your podcast lately. Love your stuff. Um, you know, he was saying like, like we just need someone who cares about defense, who takes pride in defense, who can kind of, you know, be the guy that others can look to, you know, as an example. And, you know, you could say a lot of things about Crowder, but, you know, one thing you can never question is, is, you know, defensive intensity on the floor. I don't know if he would come back to Dallas, you know, I don't know that whole dynamic is, but, you know, just as far as someone who can kind of come in and, you know, as a veteran kind of take that role, um, you know, he, 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 he wouldn't cost more than the mid-level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm going to go a little bit more vague since he did say what, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take this very literally. Uh, I would say a, an off ball. How do I say this? A Patrick Beverly type, I would say a point guard who doesn't need to be the point guard, uh, who just does the dirty work, Pretty much what Delon was supposed to do, I would say. Something like that. Uh, you could also make the argument, you know, a guy who can rebound free throws. Yeah. That would be nice. I know. So. <laughs> uh, I knew I said I was done with, with ranting, but that's a situation. How do you not put Boban in there? Dude, I mean, come on. I have a lot of issues, man. Like, I, I tweeted this. The Mavs have the most niche need, like, ever, which is free throw rebounding. I, I never, but it's always never been seen a problem. Team, yeah. Always. Yeah, like, not, I, it's not even this you know year. What I, you know what I actually remember? I don't know why I remember this. I remember Kobe Bryant getting a rebound over Brandon Bass. And I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this was like, this had to be like 10, 15 years ago, honestly. 
God, Brandon Bass. The fact that <laughs> I thought he was going to be so good. By the way, Brandon Bass. You got to get on the podcast. <laughs> Brandon Bass, do you have a connection? Just for the talk about the free throw. Just have him on an episode where all we talk about is free throw rebounding. <laughs> <laughs> he probably doesn't even remember. Well, I don't know. It was Kobe, so maybe. Yeah, yeah. Of course he remembers. He probably scarred him. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Simon Rath asks, where uh, where are we watching Game 7 of the NBA Finals when it's Hawks versus Mavs? Uh, I mean, quarantine aside, uh, I love Atlanta. I'd love to go watch uh, if you're hosting, Simon. <laughs> wow. We just invited ourselves over, huh? I mean, well, he invited us in a way. Oh, uh, let's dope. go to Atlanta. We need to go to like an obscure getaway. Like that's that's. Where... <laughs> you want a getaway? <laughs> like Alaska. We're going to like you know Hashtag northern tip sponsored. of Alaska. Like. <laughs> want to get away? Now you can. Exactly. <laughs> to watch the NBA with, uh, finals traffic. with Twitter friends. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> uh, we got a few more. <laughs> from 03 draft uh would kendrick perkins help the mavs right now obviously because he can get free throw rebounds <laughs> i don't even have a comment that was that was it perfect <laughs> uh this, this was this was a few days ago from drunk holger uh is a catch and shoot with three seconds left to the guy shooting one of 11 at the time a sign of terminal brain cancer just bad coaching i need answers well, I, I, I don't think that's what they drew up, really, but, yeah, it's, I don't know, shoot or shoot, I guess. This hypothetical player that we're talking about, um, <laughs> I mean, they may have an unreal green light and they've never seen a bad shot in their life, you know? Just hypothetically speaking, of course. I mean, if there's three seconds on the clock, like... It's hard. I'd, I'd rather him pull the trigger than try to pass the ball because Lord knows what's happening. I was just about to say, we've seen, and I know it's not the same person, obviously, like, this is Tim Hardaway, jokes aside. We've seen, I remember the Denver game, closer to the hiatus. It wasn't the hiatus game, uh, but it was, like, in March, February, where Jokic hit the game winner. Um, shoot, wait, Powell was out there. God, this is, like, in January. What what, what year is it? Um, well, <laughs> it was January. Years. It was 2020. <laughs> It was so long ago that I thought this all this is showing how uh, how much time is blending together. But there was a play where Dorian Finney-Smith, I mean, he kind of had two things. He could either pass it or he could shoot it, and he just didn't either. And I feel like the same thing would have happened with Tim. Like, Tim just kind of was like, all right, if I'm getting it, it's going up. Because I can't – some players just can't make the reads under that pressure that quick. Yeah. Um, okay, we got three questions left. Two of them are serious, one questionable. Uh, all right, Ben Johnson, do you believe the NBA will ever do away with draft and stashing international players? What are some ways to fix this problem? I don't think it's a problem. I, I think it's it's a benefit for these players because I, I actually think it's, it's more benefit. Like, I think in a perfect world, there are guys that you would draft and say, okay, go play in college again um, because you're not ready for the NBA but your upside is too damn high for me to not take you right now. So maybe I send you to the G League. I mean, that's basically the option is is you're basically saying, okay, rather than have you come stateside and play in the G League, which is always an option, um, you know, especially with two-way contracts and things these days. Um, but I, I think, you know, with 18-year-olds, why rush them to a foreign country? Um and have them play in a game if they're not ready. You know, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, Dirk's first year in the NBA was, was important for him, but I'm sure he would have loved to have played an extra year in Germany. Um, you know, there, I, I think there are plenty of examples of, of guys who um, have stayed overseas for an extra year or two and then come over and, and done just fine. But um, anyway, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's a problem either. Um, I do think, the biggest way for the NBA to, I would say, fix, if you want to use that word, uh, this is honestly, it's pay. If I mean, if the G League was paid better, I think you would see guys come over. I mean, think about how much these guys have opt-out clauses, things like that. I mean, they, their contracts are just much more complex. Is also a part of it. Um, but, I mean, kind of like you said, though, I mean, yeah, 
drafting session, I think it's super beneficial. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call it a problem, especially for a lot of these guys. I mean, we've seen young players, even players in the draft now that just, they're very far from ready. Let them develop under professional coaching. Obviously they kind of, they don't necessarily care about NBA development over there. I would say uh, most teams at least, but at the end of the day, the pay is the biggest issue. I mean, if, if the G league made similar money, I think you would see a huge number of players coming over more. It's a good point. Uh, two questions left. Uh, Frankie asks, uh, would having Amani Bates make the maps too skinny between him and KP? <laughs> KP is jacked now, Frankie. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I see your photo over here. I think this is what it, uh, I don't know who the fighter is. It looks like a street fighter guy. But no, I know it's see- Ivan Drago from Rocky. Well, Don't tell me you've never seen Rocky. My movie knowledge on display right here. You've never seen Rocky? This is like Rocky 3, actually. Uh, but I can't or confirm. Four. Three or 4. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't confirm nor deny what your question. No, it's, it's 3. Well, anyway. <laughs> our uh, next yeah, one. It looks like Dolph Lundgren. Um <laughs> Now I'm looking that up. I'm I'm 90 sure it was Rocky. I, so our next episode, just to be correct, is Drago scouting. No, no, I think Rocky three was um, what's his name, Mr. T. So it was Rocky four. It was Rocky yeah, four. If you're going to continue uh, being part of this podcast, I'm going to need you to uh, get your Rocky information. Down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, last question. <laughs> We kind of went off the rails here, but this is a really good question to end on. Uh, Finn asks, are there any point guards likely to be available that would be worth passing on a 3 and D wing? Uh, I think that's an excellent question. And an appropriate uh, name to use for our last question with Finn. Finn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would say yes and no. Um, I mean, in the first round. I mean, it all depends on what what guard and what wing we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Right, and that's a huge if. I don't think in the first round there is uh, because there's no three and D point guard. I would say there's an argument for Riller um, if you want to talk about that. Maybe Theo Maladon. He would be the closest. Uh, in the second round, it opens up because, first of all, there's randomness. And second, it's super tight. So guys like Trey Jones, uh, who I believe in his jump shot, really good defender. Uh, kind of fits like what I had said, you know, what the Mavs need to go after in free agency, that combo two-way point guard. The point guard that's not a point guard. They just do all the dirty work. Uh, so I would say potentially Jalen Harris. Uh, if you want to call, which I don't think I do, uh, Leandro Balmaro as a uh, point guard. I don't know if I buy the shot. That's why I have him low. But, and then lastly, Tyshawn Alexander. Tyshawn Alexander is probably the best answer to this question, actually, because he's a legit 3 and D guard that is like a rim protector. I've never seen a point guard protect the rim in college like he does. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. His rotations are absurd. Yeah, but that's obviously more talking about the 31st pick. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if uh, if Finn had a certain answer in mind. Like, I know a lot of people have slotted RJ Hampton to the Mavs, but I don't personally like that fit. Um, I, I honestly just think the way the board's going to fall, unless it's Poku, um I think it's probably going to be a wing, whether that's Sadiq Bey, Desmond Bain, um, Josh Green, uh, Neesmith, you know, someone in that realm just, I I think, makes the most sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's it's not even about, like, I mean, you said it, you want to draft best player available most times. And luckily for the Mavs, the best player available is probably going to be an area of need. So it's a really good Really good draft for the Mavs, assuming they don't just draft a Jared Cunningham. <laughs> Which actually, uh, I was at your house. <laughs> you were at my house? Yeah, eight years ago. Not not, not recently. Who <laughs> Remember, did we want him to draft? Uh, man, I want to say it was, was it Henson? Because it was no the 2012 John Henson was available. He was in that draft, I think. John uh, Henson went like top 10. Yeah, we still could have wanted him. <laughs> All right. He went 14, so he was close. Okay. Um, well, on that note, 
Do you have something to say? Jared Solinger. Jared Solinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slightly better career. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you have anything else uh, you want to add? No. Uh, glad to glad to be back recording another episode. Me too. Can't wait for everyone to hear all the gaps and non-edits. Um, but we'll be able to get the, the episode out a lot quicker. Probably will go up tomorrow, so y'all will be first hearing this uh, on that Friday, um, which should be August 7th, um, or any time after that, obviously. So... <laughs> Uh, unless you're a time traveler, in which case, uh, DM us. Off to you. Yeah. <laughs> DM us. Uh, Richard is at Mavs Draft. I'm at Jared underscore Cats 30. Uh, thanks again for the questions. Um, it was a lot of fun answering those. Um, and that's all I got. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.